Take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah 62. On the morning of Sunday, December the 7th, 1941, two men reported to duty at at 4 a.m. at the Opana radar station located on the northern tip of the island of Oahu, which was several miles from Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. These men were part of a newly installed system that would function like the concept known in ancient times as the watchman on the wall. Their purpose was to be alert and to warn of impending attack by the enemy. At the end of their shift, at about 7 a.m., the two men, Private Lockhart and Private Elliott, began to shut down the radar unit because their morning's work was over. And suddenly, as they were shutting down the unit at 7.02 a.m., the radar picked up an image that was so unusual, they thought something was wrong with the unit, but a quick check proved otherwise. It was an enormous image, more than 50 planes on their screen. The procedure of this new watchman system required them, of course, to phone in the reading to the information center at Pearl Harbor. A private McDonald answered the phone. And they gave him the information and he looked for someone to pass the message on to. But there was no one at their post. Some were not in their place as watchmen on the wall. For you see, it was Sunday morning at Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor was paradise. Pearl Harbor was the epitome of American life, almost like a a fantasy island. The beautiful palm trees, the, the perfect climate, the scenery. When Private McDonald tried to find someone to give the message to, the officers that were supposed to be at that post were not there because they had been up late the night before at the various parties in the tropical paradise. The men who were supposed to be at their post were asleep. McDonald finally found a lieutenant by the name of Lieutenant Tyler. Tyler took the phone and the men from the radar point explained what was on the screen. They said it was the biggest sighting they had ever seen. Lieutenant Tyler felt that they had possibly picked up a, a, a flight of Air Force bombers on a routine flight. And Tyler's reply to those men at that radar station was, well, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And as it turns out, that that mass on that screen was the first wave of Japanese airplanes as they launched their attack on Pearl Harbor. About 45 minutes after Tyler hung up the phone, and while most of Pearl Harbor was still asleep because they were not warned by the watchmen on the wall, at about 7.55 a.m., 
about 360 Japanese airplanes dropped their bombs on the island paradise. The attack left over 2,000 Americans dead, over over 1,000 wounded, eight battleships sunk and damaged. Ten other vessels were sunk. And of course, the event changed the course of world history. And the system designed to prevent such a surprise attack failed because some of the men who were integral in their part of the watchman system, they were asleep. In our text this morning, we're going to look at the important ministry of watchmen on the wall. And my burden this morning is that just as they were asleep at Pearl Harbor in that island paradise, perhaps there are some of us who have become mesmerized by the comforts of the society that we live in and we're falling asleep and we're not fulfilling our post as watchmen on the wall. And the eternal consequences are more drastic if we slumber. That means God's church, if we slumber, than they were 70 years ago at Pearl Harbor. My question for us this morning is when we see God's call for us to be watchmen on the wall, are we going to say, well, don't worry about it. In the Bible, there are actually two kinds of watchmen. The first is found in Ezekiel. the, The word watchman is used in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was called to be a watchman. And the Ezekiel watchman is someone who proclaims the message of salvation to the lost. That's what an Ezekiel watchman does. They, they, they warn the lost. They, they proclaim the message. They speak the truth of God. That's an Ezekiel watchman. And we're all called to be Ezekiel watchmen, to be proclaimers of the message of salvation. We're all called to be Ezekiel watchmen, to warn the lost around us and to share with them about the good news of of salvation. Do you agree with that? Say amen. Amen. We're all called to be Ezekiel watchmen. But there's a second kind of watchman found in the Bible, and it's the kind that's found in our text in Isaiah 62. And that's the one we're going to focus on today, and it's the Isaiah watchman. God also uses the term watchman in our text today in Isaiah 62. And we're going to see in Isaiah 62 that God establishes watchmen on the wall. And we're going to see that that ministry of the Isaiah watchman is the ministry of prayer. Where the Ezekiel watchman is the one who is to proclaim, the Isaiah watchman is the one that is to pray. And just like the Ezekiel watchman, we are all called to do that. Would you say amen? We're all called to be Isaiah watchmen. So a summary of the two kinds of watchmen in the Bible. Isaiah watchmen are to pray, speaking to God, pray. Ezekiel watchmen are to proclaim, they're to speak to the people. But I want you to notice something. Would you agree that Ezekiel watchmen have no success without Isaiah watchmen praying for them? Amen? In other words, there's no success in the ministry of proclamation 
without the support of the ministry of prayer. So the ministry, which is most similar to that Pearl Harbor illustration, is the Isaiah watchman. For if Isaiah watchmen fall asleep at their post of prayer, then there is no success for the Ezekiel watchman. And as a result, our families and our church and our nation and the world is in catastrophe. We need Isaiah watchmen who will pray. First, I want us to see in our text in Isaiah 62 that God appoints watchmen to the wall. Look at verse 6 of Isaiah 62. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. Verse 6, the first part says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed what? Watchmen. Now here in this passage, the term watchman is used figuratively because these watchmen are not called to to physical walls, but they're called to, to spiritual walls. And Bible scholars agree that the watchman passage here in Isaiah 62 is referring to the ministry of prayer. Well, how do we know that? Well, first of all, we see that it is God who appoints these watchmen. The Lord is the one who's speaking here. These watchmen are are not appointed by military leaders. They're not appointed by government leaders. They are appointed by God himself because he is appointing them to be awake and to be alert. Watchmen on their post in the place of prayer so that God might accomplish his purposes. Secondly, we know that this is about spiritual walls because of the historical context of, of this passage in Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62 was written at the time of the return of the, of the children of Israel from exile. And the city was still in ruin. And the walls had not yet been rebuilt. So it has to be spiritual walls and not physical walls. Also, we know that this is about spiritual walls because of the results that come much later in the passage. The mighty and marvelous and majestic works of God are not accomplished through the physical realm. They're accomplished through the spiritual realm. And so verse 1 tells us, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. And the focus here is the ministry of prayer. Praying. Now, now, why would God appoint Isaiah Watchman to the ministry of prayer? Wouldn't you think that all God would really want would be Ezekiel Watchman? I mean, wouldn't it make sense that all God would really want was those who were involved in the ministry of, of proclamation? Why would God want to, to appoint people to pray? I believe God is appointing Isaiah Watchman because it is the only way for Ezekiel Watchman to have success. We are in a spiritual war. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. And God has designed it that the victory will come in the spiritual places. And it's dependent, 
It's dependent upon Isaiah Watchman praying for Ezekiel Watchman. Praying for the ministry of proclamation. And the urgency is that neither of those ministries should slumber or sleep. One of the most serious calls in all of Scripture is this call to be a watchman. Hold your place there in Isaiah and go over to Ezekiel chapter 33. In Ezekiel 33, how does God describe the watchman's accountability? God gives a sober warning to those watchmen who fail in their duty. Ezekiel 33, God said to Ezekiel, you're a watchman. Ezekiel, I give you the word to warn the people and you do your duty. You warn them and the enemy comes in and the people die. The people die, but you've delivered your own soul. But then look at verse 6 of Ezekiel 33. If I give you the word to warn the wicked and you don't warn them, and they die. In other words, you don't perform your duty as a watchman and they die. Their blood will I require of you. Their blood will be where? On your hands if you're not a faithful watchman. In ancient times, a watchman was to stay in their place on the wall. And they were to sound the alarm when they saw the enemy approaching. And even though the enemy was coming upon him, the watchman, even though he might be the first to feel the arrows, even though he might be the one under whom the the wall crumbles first, even though he might see his own family under attack, he was to stay the course and he was to call out a warning. And if the watchman failed, it was usually because of one of two reasons. Either it was slumber, they fell asleep, or it was selfishness. You see, sometimes a watchman being so overwhelmed by the enemy, instead of staying bravely and fulfilling his duty to warn the people, out of selfish ambition, he would attempt to preserve his own life and he would run and hide. You might find him in the crevice of a wall or hole in the ground or in a closet somewhere. Do you know what the enemy did when they found him? Here's this city which the enemy has just attacked and they were extremely successful because they surprised the city because the watchman had left his post. And they would find this watchman and here's this city that's been pillaged and and looted and destroyed. The dead lying in homes and doorways and in the streets. And here's the watchman. Now you'd think the enemy would give the watchman a, a banquet, don't you? I mean, because of his failure, they were successful. But no, the enemy hated him. He was the most despised. And when they found him, he would cry out, kill me! And they would say, not so fast. We've got a messy city here. No sense in us bothering with it. You clean it up. And history tells us 
that these men would beg for death, that they would go from house to house to drag out the dead and stack them like cords of wood in the street. Blood was smeared on the watchman's body from head to toe, coming from the bodies of those who died, those that he was to warn. And he would cry out in misery because their blood was on his hands. What about us? Are we going to respond to God's appointment to be watchmen on the wall? Or are we going to sleep? Are we going to run and hide with the blood of Nightdale and the blood of our nation and the blood of the world on our hands? There is an urgency in the call for God's people to be faithful watchmen on the wall or blood will be on their hands. God is calling His people to the ministry of watchmen, the ministry of prayer. And if we don't respond, blood is on our hands. God has appointed us to be watchmen on the wall. The second thing I want us to see is that God assigns watchmen to the work. You see this in verse 6, the end part of verse 6 and then verse 7. All day and all night they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves. And give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. These verses affirm for us that the work of the watchman is the ministry of prayer. Day and night, the voice of prayer is to be heard before the throne of God. It's like the persistent widow in the teaching given by the Lord Jesus. Remember, he taught about prayer in the New Testament. And he gives the illustration of the persistent widow, and that widow continuously persists in her request to the judge. Day and night, verse 6 says, we're to remind the Lord. And that term remind is in the New American Standard. The King James says, make mention of the Lord. NIV says, called on the Lord. English Standard Version says, you who put the Lord in remembrance. And this, this term here, remind or put in remembrance or call on the Lord, is a reference to the royal court where one of the main court officials was called a mazkir. A mazkir. Or the reminder. Or the remembrancer. They were the king's recorder or the secretary who would refer to the minutes of past meetings constantly reminding the king of what the king had said and therefore holding the king accountable for his words. So this tells us that the watchmen are those who pray and who remind God of his word and his promises, we are the Lord's remembrancers who, through prayer, put God in remembrance of his own promises. Now, we know that God is sovereign. Amen? He is sovereign. And he is fully omniscient. He knows everything. And he certainly does not need me to remind him of anything. I know that. But sovereignly, God has chosen for our praying to be His method for fulfilling His purposes. It is a divine mystery. 
This reminding is simply praying the word of God. We're to pray the truths of God's word for the victory. Our praying is his method for fulfilling his purposes. That's what's at stake here. That's why there's blood on our hands if we don't pray. God is calling watchmen who will pray because of what's at stake. God's kingdom and his purposes are at stake. I want you to notice something. Let's connect the dots here. What's at stake? Isaiah 62, this passage on the watchman, focuses on prayer. Well, Isaiah 62 follows what chapter? Very good. Isaiah 61 comes right before Isaiah 62. Now go to Isaiah 61. Look at verse 1 for a moment. The call to prayer in Isaiah 62 flows out of the vision that is given in Isaiah 61. The Isaiah watchman of Isaiah 62 is to be praying for what is given in Isaiah 61. Look at verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now, does that sound familiar to you? Well, let me show you why it might sound familiar to you. Turn, hold your place here and turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke 4, we find, is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In the first part of Luke 4, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And then he begins his ministry in verse 14 of Luke 4. But now let's look at verse 16 of Luke 4. And he came to Nazareth. This is Luke 4, 16. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him And he opened the book and he found the place. In other words, he looked for this place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Verse 20, And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Verse 21, And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was given the book of Isaiah. He opened it up and he turned to Isaiah 61 because it is there that it is pronounced about God's plan and purpose, His plan for redemption. And so Isaiah 61 is fulfilled in Luke chapter 4. Isaiah 61 is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and His ministry of redemption. So the advance of Jesus' ministry, which is announced in Luke 4, ties back to the Isaiah watchman and the ministry of prayer. 
Nightdale, knowing that Jesus Christ came to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, to set free those who are oppressed. That's what's at stake here. America, knowing the message of Jesus Christ, that's what's at stake here. All the nations, knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's what is at stake here. So what's at stake? The prayer ministry of the watchman on the wall is God's method for advancing Jesus' ministry of proclaiming release to the captives. God assigns watchmen to the work and we must take our place as watchmen on the wall in prayer. Go back to Isaiah. Back to Isaiah 62. The third thing I want us to see is that God assures watchmen by His Word. Verse 8 and 9 of Isaiah 62. The Lord has sworn by His right hand and by His strong arm, I will never again give your grain as food for your enemies, nor will foreigners drink your new wine for which you have labored, but those who garner it, it will eat. It will eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather it will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. In these verses, God swears by His right hand and by His strong arm. What does that mean? These are just symbols of God's power. These are symbols of God's strength. And God is letting the watchman know that God is holding himself accountable for the promises that he has made. And here, Almighty God, Almighty God solemnly pledges the strength of his arm to provide the victory for the watchman who will pray. God is saying, I assure you by my word, if you will pray, I will work. And the church will advance. Hold your place again in Isaiah 62 and turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, we have the famous statement of the Lord Jesus. Where he says in Matthew 16 verse 18, he says, I will build my church. And what? What does he say after that? I will build my church in verse 18 of Matthew 16. I will build my church in what? Gates of hell will not prevail against it. The image that Christ uses in Matthew 16 for the church is the picture of an army in the field advancing against the gates of an enemy city. The church of Jesus Christ is not only defensive, The church of Jesus Christ is on the advance against the gates of hell. And we're to take the battle to every place where we see the gates of hell erected. And the promise is that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Everywhere we see someone in bondage, everywhere we see a need, everywhere we see someone who's in captive, everywhere there's people who don't know Jesus, it's a picture of Jesus Christ working through His church. Storming the gates of hell and delivering the captives. 
It's an advance such that Nightdale, North Carolina, knows the force of God's love through Green Pines Baptist Church. But in Matthew 16, how does God build His church? Well, He tells us in the next verse, in verse 19. Matthew 16, 19. And I will give you what? Keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now what does this mean? What, what are these keys of the kingdom? If this is how Jesus builds his church, then what are these keys? The only other places in all the Bible where the will of God on earth and the will of God in heaven is compared like it is here in verse 19 is in two other places, and they're both in the book of Matthew. Turn back to Matthew chapter 6, where we find a very familiar passage because it's the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, verse 9, Pray then in this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth, as it where? As it is in heaven. And what's this passage about? Is it about prayer? I I think so, because he says at the beginning, pray this way. So Matthew 6 is about prayer. The idea of God doing something on earth, as it is in heaven, is done through Prayer. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, and look at verse 18. Matthew 18, verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Does that sound familiar? Whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That sounds like something we've heard. Then verse 19, again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may do what? That they may ask. What is the, what is the thing of asking called? It's called prayer, right? When we're asking God for something, that's called praying. If two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask or pray about, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. So Matthew 18 actually uses the exact same language as in the Matthew 16 passage. And here it's talking about asking, which is asking is talking about prayer. So both of these other Matthew passages are about prayer. Now go back to Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, verse 19, God is talking about prayer. Prayer is the key. Our prayers are the keys of the kingdom. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I'm not trying to make this a seminary class or or a Bible class, but it's important for us to notice something here about these phrases. The phrase shall be bound in heaven, and the phrase shall be loosed in heaven, these verbs are special verbs in the original language. Again, you don't have to remember that they're future perfect passive. That's not necessary to remember. But the meaning behind it is important for us to know. 
literally because of the language of those verbs and how the original language is written. This is how this verse would read. And some of you have study Bibles or reference Bibles or Bibles with notes in it, and it'll say this in some of your margins there. The literal reading of this verse is, whatever you shall bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. But what does that mean? Well, it points us again to the importance of praying the Word of God. It is not that we, as the created beings, it is not that we direct sovereign God at what He's supposed to do. We do not make God do what He is not purposed to do. But it is praying, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray this way. 1 John 5, 14 says it this way, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So our praying then is dependent on what the Father has already willed. But in a divinely mysterious way that I cannot explain, God has chosen that His activity of His will on this earth move through our praying. I don't understand that. But He has chosen for prayer to be the bridge between heaven and earth for the accomplishment of His will. God has chosen to work within the level of our praying. If you have not, it's because you've asked not. John MacArthur, he says, yes, God is sovereign, But that does not preclude prayer. He says, prayer is an act by which I line up with the purposes of God and through which God works those purposes to fulfillment. MacArthur says, prayer moves God. He says, God moves His people who move in response. So this passage is saying, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys, the keys to make it happen. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you shall bind on earth, which means in prayer as you pray scripture and you pray for the forces of evil to be bound and and for those forces not to have the victory, that which you pray shall have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you shall loose on earth, which means in prayer you pray Scripture and you pray for the power of God to be loose. So there's a victory. That which you pray shall have already been loosed in heaven. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I give you the keys to make it happen. Green Pines Baptist Church, we are to be on the advance, going against the gates of hell as an army marching on our knees in prayer. But many of us don't pray like that. Usually our our prayer requests are about those who are sick or have illnesses. And we need to pray for those. The Scriptures teach us to pray for those. But usually that's just the totality of 
our prayer requests. But God is calling us to pray for those who are sick. We need to do that. We're also to pray as those that are in a spiritual war. We're to focus our praying on kingdom issues because we're in spiritual war. Second Corinthians talks about that we have weapons of our warfare. Ephesians, 6 says we're, Ephesians chapter 6 says we're to put on the armor of God in order to pray. We are to advance as a church, as an army, marching on our knees in prayer. John Piper speaks about this kind of praying. He says prayer is like a a wartime walkie-talkie. And the person in prayer is, is on the front lines and they're using that wartime walkie-talkie of prayer. They're calling out to the general, God himself. They're calling out for air cover. They're calling out for more supplies because they're on the front line in spiritual warfare. But he says that for many of us, prayer is not like a, a wartime walkie-talkie. For many of us, prayer is more like a domestic intercom calling the butler to come fluff up our pillow to make us more comfortable. The prayers of watchmen on the wall are the keys of the kingdom for the advance of Jesus' church. We have the keys of the kingdom. God assures watchmen by His word we must take our place as watchmen on the wall in prayer. I go back to Isaiah 62. Let's look at the last verses of this passage. Fourth, I want us to notice that God advances watchmen to the world. In verses 10 through 12, God gives us a a string of, of powerful mandates Command after command ring out as God commands His people to be involved in the advance of His kingdom through prayer. I want us to stand as we read verse 10 through 12. Let's stand together. Go through, go through the gates. Clear the way for the people. Build up. Build up the highway. Remove the stones. Lift up a standard over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Lo, your salvation comes. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. And they will call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you will be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. You may be seated. Folks, anytime we get tired or we get lazy or we get discouraged and we don't want to go to prayer meeting, we need to remind ourselves of these commands. God is saying to us, go through. Go through. Clear the way. Build up. Build up. Remove the stones. Lift up a standard. He is saying, get ready because God will honor His Word if we will pray. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. God is ready to work. He is ready to work in mighty and powerful ways if we will pray. As watchmen on the wall in the place of prayer, we are preparing the way. We're removing those obstacles out of the way as we pray. So that that many in Nightdale will come through our gates and they'll come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Notice in verse 11 of Isaiah 62, it says, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. We're to pray for all nations to know Christ. This is a declaration that's repeated 29 times in the book of Isaiah. God wants watchmen on the wall to pray so that His kingdom will spread in Nightdale and to the ends of the earth, to the most distant nations. For God so loved the world. His heart is for the whole world. Turn to the book of of Mark. In the New Testament. Mark chapter 11. In Mark 11, how does Jesus describe the house of God? In Mark 11, we have the account of the triumphal entry. Then the Lord Jesus comes to the temple and he turns over the money tables and drives out the money changers from the temple. And he simply reminds them, this is not your house. This is my father's house. And my father's house has to be run my father's way. And when you touch something sacred in a secular way, I'm going to kick you out of here. In verse 17, Jesus says, My Father's house shall be called what? A house of prayer for the nations. In other words, the atmosphere of my Father's house is supposed to be prayer. And in that praying, you pray for the spread of the gospel to all the nations. Jesus is saying the atmosphere around the things of my Father must be that of my people crying out to my Father in prayer. And Jesus is saying to these money changers, instead of keeping that atmosphere, instead of aiming at that atmosphere, instead of understanding my Father's purposes, you've made it a place for your own purposes. So out with you! My house should be called a house of prayer for the nations. Is there to be preaching in God's house? Yes. But he doesn't say my house should be called the house of preaching. Music? Yes. But not my house should be called the house of music. Fellowship? Yes. But he doesn't say my house should be called the house of fellowship. He says my house should be called the house of prayer. Do you remember the Lord Jesus, his response, and as the disciples asked him about praying. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus responded by teaching them how to pray. But notice that the the disciples never asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to preach. You think Jesus was a good preacher? They never asked him, Lord, teach us to, to preach. Could Jesus do miracles? Yes. 
They never asked him, Lord, teach us to do these miracles. No, they asked him one thing because they knew it was the secret behind everything. Lord, teach us to pray because that's your secret. That's how you preach. That's how you do miracles. That's how you do all that you do. You pray. Lord, teach us to pray. My house should be called a house of prayer for the nations. God advances watchmen to the world because the Father's house is a house of prayer for the nations and the watchmen on the wall gather there to pray. God is saying, I I want a people who will be watchmen on the wall, who will cry out to me, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Those who will say, God, I'm praying here because your word promises your truths for my family and I'm praying for my family. Those who will come and say, Lord, I'm, I'm here as a watchman and I, I'm crying out to you for our church. Those who would say, God, I'm at my post and I'm praying because of the, the desperate need of our nation. Those who would say, Lord, I'm here in your house for the purpose you want it to be. And I'm here to pray for the nations because your house is a house of prayer for the nations. God is calling us to be watchmen on the wall. Now, let me draw this to a close. And this makes some practical application to our context. What does it look like for you and for me at Green Pines Baptist Church to be faithful watchmen on the wall? What does that look like? Well, certainly, we're to be watchmen on the wall and pray in private. Our own personal, private devotion time. In our home, or wherever we might have that private time. In fact, the Bible calls us to enter into our closet for personal prayer. And just as certain, we're to be watchmen on the wall and we're to pray in small groups as watchmen on the wall. Small prayer groups are are small groups that are gathered for Bible study and we focus on prayer. Certainly, we're to pray in small groups. But the main application we need to consider is the last certainty that I want us to look at. And that is Certainly, being faithful as a church called to be watchmen on the wall, it means that we gather together as a church for large group or for corporate prayer. We gather together and pray together as a church. And it's a priority. In the Old Testament, there was a great deal of emphasis on corporate prayer. Many, many times the people of God in the Old Testament were called to fast and pray as a group. In the New Testament, the church prayed so often as a group that Paul even gives instructions on how to behave when the whole church gathers together for prayer meeting. In other words, we can't escape it. The Bible assumes that God's people will gather together as a group and pray together. The Bible assumes the church will gather together as watchmen on the wall 
and then we'll gather together and we'll pray together. Green Pines Baptist Church has a prayer meeting on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock until 6.30. It's a time that our pastor has called our church to gather as a group and be watchmen on the wall and pray. Now, I know that everyone can't be here at 6 p.m. on Wednesday nights. I know that. Some are out of town because of business during the week or some work in another part of, of the city and they can't get here. I know that. But let's be honest this morning about this. Let's be honest. Now, folks, I'm not trying to put us all on a man-made guilt trip. I know that if God is going to move in our church to gather together to pray as a group, the Holy Spirit is going to have to convict us to do that. And it doesn't help if it's just a man-made guilt trip, and I'm not trying to do that. But I am asking us to be honest. Some of us will say that we can't be here at 6 p.m. on Wednesday nights for prayer meeting. And I know that's true for, for many people. But when we have Wednesday night fellowship suppers, like we do each month, and people come for that, but when it's over, they won't come to pray. It brings a question that we need to be honest about. A couple of weeks ago, we had a Wednesday night supper from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. And we had a wonderful meal and a wonderful time of fellowship hall, a fellowship together. And we were in the fellowship hall. And the fellowship hall was, was full. And, and I was just so blessed to see all the people that came together after a, a busy summer and people came together for that time. And, and God was pleased and God was, was honored. And, and I'm not suggesting anything negative about it at all. Those who led that night did so excellently and it was very pleasing to the Lord. But when it was over, what happened? I'm not talking about those that were working and those that were cleaning up and so forth. But for the rest of us, what happened? Somehow, 70 or 80 or 90 people found a way to get here. from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. for a fellowship meal. And on that same night, at 6 p.m., when the fellowship and the food was over, at 6 p.m., the prayer meeting was held in the Fidelis classroom, and it was held there because of the tile construction going on. We didn't have the meeting here. It was held in the Fidelis classroom. And it was just such a stark contrast that night. That's why I'm referring to it, because of the location of the the prayer meeting that night was in the Fidelis classroom, which is practically right next to the fellowship hall, just a few feet away from the fellowship hall. The 6 p.m. prayer meeting was held in a room that was a few feet away from a room full of people that had come for food and for fellowship. And maybe some just didn't know where it was but only about five or six people came to the prayer meeting. And again, maybe just people didn't know where to find it. But the reality is, it's the same five or six people that come every Wednesday night. 
about five or six people each week come to be watchmen on the wall. And at that same time of day, we can get 70 or 80 or 90 people here for food and fellowship. But we won't come and pray. What if we took all of this seriously? What if we believe that we want to be a church that takes God's word seriously and we want to be watchmen on the wall? And as a result, we don't want to be like Pearl Harbor. We don't want to be like those who are asleep in their comfort and, and, and to say about the approaching enemy that's coming, well, don't worry about it. What if we took this seriously and we don't want blood on our hands from selfishness? What if we took this seriously and we don't want to forget what's at stake here? Nightdale, knowing that Jesus Christ came to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, to free those who are oppressed. That's what's at stake. What if we took this seriously? We realize that Jesus Christ has given to us the keys of the kingdom to see him build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it if we'll pray. What if we took this seriously and we believe Jesus when he says, my house will be called a house of prayer for the nation. What if we took it seriously? If we take seriously the call to be watchmen on the wall, then our prayer meeting will be the barometer of our church. What happens in our corporate prayer meeting will be the gauge by which we measure and we judge the success or failure of Green Pines Baptist Church. Will you receive your appointment to the wall? Will you receive your assignment to pray? Will you stand in the confident assurance of God's promises and God's word? Will you see your responsibility to advance the kingdom of God through prayer? God is calling for watchmen on the wall. The walls are silent today. They await your response. Let's pray together. Father, we've seen in your word today the sober call to be watchmen on the wall. And Father, I just ask you to sweep by your Holy Spirit across this gathering today. Sweep in my heart, move in my own heart. Convict me, Lord, of where I've not been the watchman that I'm to be. Convict others here today that those that have not been the watchman that they're to be. And Father, in mercy, grant us grace to respond today to say, yes, I will be a watchman on the wall. Whatever that might look like for each individual here, Lord, May we respond and say, yes, I will be a watchman on the wall. 
We commit our time to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In a moment, we're going to sing. And our invitation is just, if you want to respond and say, yes, I want to be a watchman on the wall. I'm not saying you're committing yourself to be able to come on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. That's not the, the, the focus of that commitment. It's just a commitment to say, I'm going to be committed to pray as watchman on the wall. These altars are open for you to come and say, Lord, I'll be that watchman. Perhaps there's someone else here this morning. You've never settled the issue of your relationship with Jesus Christ. The invitation's for you as well to come and say, I, I want to come and, and know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You're invited to come. And there's someone here you've been praying about church membership. We welcome you to come and join and be a part of this church family. God is doing some amazing things right here at Green Pines Baptist Church. We'd love to have you be a part of that. As we sing, you respond to God's call in your life today. Let's stand together and let's sing. Amen. Have a great Labor Day weekend. It's great to see everyone here this morning. And we look forward to seeing you on Wednesday night as we gather here for Wednesday night. God bless you. You're dismissed.
So the ministry, which is most similar to that Pearl Harbor illustration, is the Isaiah watchman. For if Isaiah watchmen fall asleep at their post of prayer, then there is no success for the Ezekiel watchman. And as a result, our families and our church and our nation and the world is in catastrophe. We need Isaiah watchmen who will pray. First, I want us to see in our text in Isaiah 62 that God appoints watchmen to the wall. Look at verse 6 of Isaiah 62. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. Verse 6, the first part says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed what? Watchmen. Now here in this passage, the term watchman is used figuratively because these watchmen are not called to to physical walls, but they're called to, to spiritual walls. And Bible scholars agree that the watchman passage here in Isaiah 62 is referring to the ministry of prayer. Well, how do we know that? Well, first of all, we see that it is God who appoints these watchmen. The Lord is the one who's speaking here. These watchmen are are not appointed by military leaders. They're not appointed by government leaders. They are appointed by God himself because he is appointing them to be awake and to be alert. Watchmen on their post in the place of prayer so that God might accomplish his purposes. Secondly, we know that this is about spiritual walls because of the historical context of, of this passage in Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62 was written at the time of the return of the the children of Israel from exile. And the city was still in ruin. And the walls had not yet been rebuilt. So it has to be spiritual walls and not physical walls. Also, we know that this is about spiritual walls because of the results that come much later in the passage. The mighty and marvelous and majestic works of God are not accomplished through the physical realm. They're accomplished through the spiritual realm. And so verse 1 tells us, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. And the focus here is the ministry of prayer. Praying. Now, now why would God appoint Isaiah Watchman to the ministry of prayer? Wouldn't you think that all God would really want would be Ezekiel Watchman? I mean, wouldn't it make sense that all God would really want was those who were involved in the ministry of of proclamation? Why would God want to, to appoint people to pray? I believe God is appointing Isaiah Watchman because it is the only way for Ezekiel Watchman to have success. We are in a spiritual war. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. And God has designed it that the victory will come in the spiritual places. And it's dependent dependent upon Isaiah Watchman praying for Ezekiel Watchman. Praying for the ministry of proclamation. And the urgency 
is that neither of those ministries should slumber or sleep. One of the most serious calls in all of Scripture is this call to be a watchman. Hold your place here in Isaiah and go over to Ezekiel chapter 33. In Ezekiel 33, how does God describe the watchman's accountability? God gives a sober warning to those watchmen who fail in their duty. Ezekiel 33, God said to Ezekiel, you're a watchman. Ezekiel, I give you the word to warn the people and you do your duty. You warn them and the enemy comes in and the people die. The people die, but you've delivered your own soul. But then look at verse 6 of Ezekiel 33. If I give you the word to warn the wicked and you don't warn them and they die. In other words, you don't perform your duty as a watchman and they die. Their blood will I require of you. Their blood will be where? On your hands if you're not a faithful watchman. In ancient times, a watchman was to stay in their place on the wall. And they were to sound the alarm when they saw the enemy approaching. And even though the enemy was coming upon him, the watchman, even though he might be the first to feel the arrows, even though he might be the one under whom the, the, the wall crumbles first, even though he might see his own family under attack, he was to stay the course and he was to call out a warning. And if the watchman failed, it was usually because of one of two reasons. Either it was slumber, they fell asleep, or it was selfishness. You see, sometimes a watchman being so overwhelmed by the enemy, instead of staying bravely and fulfilling his duty to warn the people, out of selfish ambition, he would attempt to preserve his own life and he would run and hide. You might find him in the crevice of a wall or hole in the ground or in a closet somewhere. Do you know what the enemy did when they found him? Here's this city which the enemy has just attacked and they were extremely successful because they surprised the city because the watchman had left his post. And they would find this watchman and here's this city that's been pillaged and and looted and destroyed. The dead lying in homes and doorways and in the streets. And here's the watchman. You'd think they'd give, the enemy would give the watchman a, a banquet, don't you? I mean, because of his failure, they were successful. But no, the enemy hated him. He was the most despised. And when they found him, he would cry out, kill me! And they would say, not so fast. We've got a messy city here. No sense in us bothering with it. You clean it up. History tells us that these men would beg for death as they would go from house to house to drag out the dead and stack them like cords of wood in the street. 
Blood was smeared on the watchman's body from head to toe, coming from the bodies of those who died, those that he was to warn. And he would cry out in misery because their blood was on his hands. What about us? Are we going to respond to God's appointment to be watchmen on the wall? Or are we going to sleep? Are we going to run and hide with the blood of Nightdale and the blood of our nation and the blood of the world on our hands? There is an urgency in the call for God's people to be faithful watchmen on the wall or blood will be on their hands. God is calling His people to the ministry of watchmen, the ministry of prayer. And if we don't respond, blood is on our hands. God has appointed us to be watchmen on the wall. The second thing I want us to see is that God assigns watchmen to the work. You see this in verse 6, the end part of verse 6, and then verse 7. All day and all night they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord... Take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. These verses affirm for us that the work of the watchman is the ministry of prayer. Day and night, the voice of prayer is to be heard before the throne of God. It's like the persistent widow in the teaching given by the Lord Jesus. Remember he taught about prayer in the New Testament? And it gives the illustration of the persistent widow and that widow continuously persists in her request to the judge. Day and night, verse 6 says, we're to remind the Lord. And that term remind is in the New American Standard. The King James says, make mention of the Lord. NIV says, called on the Lord. English Standard Version says, you who put the Lord in remembrance. And this, this term here, remind or put in remembrance or call on the Lord, is a reference to the royal court for one of the main court officials was called a mazkir. A mazkir. Or the reminder. Or the remembrancer. They were the king's recorder or the secretary who would refer to the minutes of past meetings constantly reminding the king of what the king had said. And therefore holding the king accountable for his words. So this tells us that the watchmen are those who pray and who remind God of his word and his promises. We are the Lord's remembrancers who, through prayer, put God in remembrance of his own promises. Now, we know that God is sovereign. Amen? He is sovereign. And he is fully omniscient. He knows everything. And he certainly does not need me to remind him of anything. I know that. But sovereignly, God has chosen for our praying to be his method for fulfilling his purposes. It is a divine mystery. This reminding is simply praying the Word of God. 
we're to pray the truths of God's word for the victory. Our praying is his method for fulfilling his purposes. That, that's what's at stake here. That, that's why there's blood on our hands if we don't pray. God is calling watchmen who will pray because of what's at stake. God's kingdom and his purposes are at stake. I want you to notice something. Let's connect the dots here. What's at stake? Isaiah 62, this passage on the watchman, focuses on prayer. Well, Isaiah 62 follows what chapter? Very good. Isaiah 61 comes right before Isaiah 62. Now go to Isaiah 61. Look at verse 1 for a moment. The call to prayer in Isaiah 62 flows out of the vision that is given in Isaiah 61. The Isaiah watchman of Isaiah 62 is to be praying for what is given in Isaiah 61. Look at verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now, does that sound familiar to you? Well, let me show you why it might sound familiar to you. Turn, hold your place here and turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke 4, we find, is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In the first part of Luke 4, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, and then he begins his ministry in verse 14 of Luke 4. But now let's look at verse 16 of Luke 4. And he came to Nazareth, this is Luke 4, 16. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and he opened the book and he found the place. In other words, he looked for this place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release of the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Verse 20, and he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Verse 21, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was given the book of Isaiah. He opened it up and he turned to Isaiah 61 because it is there that it is pronounced about God's plan and purpose, His plan for redemption. And so Isaiah 61 is fulfilled in Luke chapter 4. Isaiah 61 is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and His ministry of redemption. So the advance of Jesus' ministry, which is announced in Luke 4, ties back to the Isaiah watchman and the ministry of prayer. Nightdale, 
knowing that Jesus Christ came to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, to set free those who are oppressed. That's what's at stake here. America, knowing the message of Jesus Christ, that's what's at stake here. All the nations, knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's what is at stake here. So what's at stake? The prayer ministry of the watchman on the wall is God's method for advancing Jesus' ministry of proclaiming release to the captives. God assigns watchmen to the work and we must take our place as watchmen on the wall in prayer. Go back to Isaiah. Back to Isaiah 62. The third thing I want us to see is that God assures watchmen by His Word. Verse 8 and 9 of Isaiah 62. The Lord has sworn by His right hand and by His strong arm, I will never again give your grain as food for your enemies, nor will foreigners drink your new wine for which you have labored, but those who garner it, it will eat, it will eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather it will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. In these verses, God swears by his right hand and by his strong arm. What does that mean? These are just symbols of God's power. These are symbols of God's strength. And God is letting the watchman know that God is holding himself accountable for the promises that he has made. And here, Almighty God, Almighty God solemnly pledges the strength of his arm to provide the victory for the watchman who will pray. God is saying, I assure you by my word, if you will pray, I will work. And the church will advance. Hold your place again in Isaiah 62 and turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, we have the famous statement of the Lord Jesus. Where he says in Matthew 16 verse 18, he says, I will build my church. And what? What does he say after that? I will build my church in verse 18 of Matthew 16. I will build my church in what? Gates of hell will not prevail against it. The image that Christ uses in Matthew 16 for the church is the picture of an army in the field advancing against the gates of an enemy city. The church of Jesus Christ is not on the defensive. The church of Jesus Christ is on the advance against the gates of hell. And we're to take the battle to every place where we see the gates of hell erected. And the promise is that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Everywhere we see someone in bondage, everywhere we see a need, everywhere we see someone who's in captive, everywhere there's people who don't know Jesus, it's a picture of Jesus Christ working through His church storming the gates of hell and delivering the captives 
It's an advance such that Nightdale, North Carolina, knows the force of God's love through Green Pines Baptist Church. But in Matthew 16, how does God build His church? Well, He tells us in the next verse, in verse 19. Matthew 16, 19. And I will give you what? Keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now what does this mean? What, what are these keys of the kingdom? If this is how Jesus builds his church, then what are these keys? The only other places in all the Bible where the will of God on earth and the will of God in heaven is compared like it is here in verse 19, is in two other places, and they're both in the book of Matthew. Turn back to Matthew chapter 6, where we find a very familiar passage because it's the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, verse 9, Pray then in this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth, as it where? As it is in heaven. And what's this passage about? Is it about prayer? I I think so. Because he says at the beginning, pray this way. So Matthew 6 is about prayer. The idea of God doing something on earth, as it is in heaven, is done through prayer. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, and look at verse 18. Matthew 18, verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Does that sound familiar? Whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That sounds like something we've heard. Then verse 19. Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may do what? That they may ask. What is the the thing of asking called? It's called prayer, right? When we're asking God for something, that's called prayer. Praying. If two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask or pray about, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. So Matthew 18 actually uses the exact same language as in the Matthew 16 passage. And here it's talking about asking, which is asking is talking about prayer. So both of these other Matthew passages are about prayer. Now go back to Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, verse 19, God is talking about prayer. Prayer is the key. Our prayers are the keys of the kingdom. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I'm not trying to make this a seminary class or a a Bible class, but it's important for us to notice something here about these phrases. The phrase, shall be bound in heaven, and the phrase, shall be loosed in heaven, these verbs are special verbs in the original language. Again, you don't have to remember that they're future perfect passive. That's not necessary to remember. But the meaning behind it is important for us to know. 
literally because of the language of those verbs and how the original language is written. This is how this verse would read. And some of you have study Bibles or reference Bibles or Bibles with notes in it. And it'll say this in some of your margins there. The literal reading of this verse is whatever you shall bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. But what does that mean? Well, it points us again to the importance of praying the Word of God. It is not that we, as the created beings, it is not that we direct sovereign God at what He's supposed to do. We do not make God do what He is not purposed to do. But it is praying, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray this way. 1 John 5.14 says it this way, If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So our praying then is dependent on what the Father has already willed. But in a divinely mysterious way that I cannot explain, God has chosen that His activity of His will on this earth move through our praying. I don't understand that. But He has chosen for prayer to be the bridge between heaven and earth for the accomplishment of His will. God has chosen to work within the level of our praying. If you have not, it's because you've asked not. John MacArthur, he says, Yes, God is sovereign, but that does not preclude prayer. He says, Prayer is an act by which I line up with the purposes of God and through which God works those purposes to fulfillment. MacArthur says, Prayer moves God. He says, God moves His people who move in response. So this passage is saying, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys, the keys to make it happen. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you shall bind on earth. Which means in prayer, as you pray scripture and you pray for the forces of evil to be bound and and for those forces not to have the victory, that which you pray shall have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you shall loose on earth, which means in prayer you pray Scripture and you pray for the power of God to be loose. So there's a victory. That which you pray shall have already been loosed in heaven. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I give you the keys to make it happen. Green Pines Baptist Church, we are to be on the advance, going against the gates of hell as an army marching on our knees in prayer. But many of us don't pray like that. Usually our our prayer requests are about those who are sick. Or have illnesses. And we need to pray for those. The scriptures teach us to pray for those. But usually that's just the totality of 
our prayer requests. But God is calling us to pray for those who are sick. We need to do that. We're also to pray as those that are in a spiritual war. We're to focus our praying on kingdom issues because we're in spiritual war. Second Corinthians talks about that we have weapons of our warfare. Ephesians, 6 says we're, Ephesians chapter 6 says we're to put on the armor of God in order to pray. We are to advance as a church, as an army, marching on our knees in prayer. John Piper speaks about this kind of praying. He says, prayer is like a a wartime walkie-talkie. And the person in prayer is is on the front lines and they're using that wartime walkie-talkie of prayer. They're calling out to the general, God himself. They're calling out for air cover. They're calling out for more supplies because they're on the front line in spiritual warfare. But he says that for many of us, prayer is not like a a wartime walkie-talkie. For many of us, prayer is more like a domestic intercom calling the butler to come fluff up our pillow to make us more comfortable. The prayers of watchmen on the wall are the keys of the kingdom for the advance of Jesus' church. We have the keys of the kingdom. God assures watchmen by His word. We must take our place as watchmen on the wall in prayer. Now go back to Isaiah 62. Let's look at the last verses of this passage. Fourth, I want us to notice that God advances watchmen to the world. In verses 10 through 12, God gives us a, a string of, of powerful mandates. Command after command ring out as God commands His people to be involved in the advance of His kingdom through prayer. I want us to stand as we read verse 10 through 12. Let's stand together. Go through, go through the gates. Clear the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Remove the stones. Lift up a standard over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Lo, your salvation comes. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. And they will call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, And you will be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. You may be seated. Folks, anytime we get tired or we get lazy or we get discouraged and we don't want to go to prayer meeting, we need to remind ourselves of these commands. God is saying to us, go through. Go through. Clear the way. Build up. Build up, remove the stones, lift up a standard. He is saying, get ready because God will honor His Word if we will pray. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. God is ready to work. He is ready to work in mighty and powerful ways if we will pray. As watchmen on the wall in the place of prayer, we are preparing the way. We're removing those obstacles out of the way as we pray so that that many in Nightdale will come through our gates and they'll come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Notice in verse 11 of Isaiah 62, it says, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. We're to pray for all nations to know Christ. This is a declaration that's repeated 29 times in the book of Isaiah. God wants watchmen on the wall to pray so that His kingdom will spread in Nightdale and to the ends of the earth, to the most distant nations. For God so loved the world. His heart is for the whole world. Turn to the book of of Mark. In the New Testament. Mark chapter 11. In Mark 11, how does Jesus describe the house of God? In Mark 11, we have the account of the triumphal entry. Then the Lord Jesus comes to the temple and he turns over the money tables and drives out the money changers from the temple. And he simply reminds them, This is not your house. This is my father's house. And my father's house has to be run my father's way. And when you touch something sacred in a secular way, I'm going to kick you out of here. In verse 17, Jesus says, My father's house shall be called what? A house of prayer for the nations. In other words, the atmosphere of my father's house is supposed to be prayer. And in that praying, you pray for the spread of the gospel to all the nations. Jesus is saying the atmosphere around the things of my Father must be that of my people crying out to my Father in prayer. And Jesus is saying to these money changers, instead of keeping that atmosphere, instead of aiming at that atmosphere, instead of understanding my Father's purposes, you've made it a place for your own purposes. So out with you. My house should be called a house of prayer for the nations. Is there to be preaching in God's house? Yes. But he doesn't say my house should be called the house of preaching. Music? Yes. But not my house should be called the house of music. Fellowship? Yes. But he doesn't say my house should be called the house of fellowship. He says my house should be called the house of prayer. Do you remember the Lord Jesus, his response, and as the disciples asked him about praying, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus responded by teaching them how to pray. But notice that the the disciples never asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to preach. You think Jesus was a good preacher? They never asked him, Lord, teach us to to preach. Could Jesus do miracles? Yes. 
They never asked him, Lord, teach us to do these miracles. No, they asked him one thing because they knew it was the secret behind everything. Lord, teach us to pray because that's your secret. That's how you preach. That's how you do miracles. That's how you do all that you do. You pray. Lord, teach us to pray. My house should be called a house of prayer for the nations. God advances watchmen to the world because the Father's house is a house of prayer for the nations and the watchmen on the wall gather there to pray. God is saying, I I want a people who will be watchmen on the wall, who will cry out to me, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Those who will say, God, I'm praying here because your word promises your truths for my family and I'm praying for my family. Those who will come and say, Lord, I'm I'm here as a watchman and I'm crying out to you for our church. Those who would say, God, I'm at my post and I'm praying because of the, the desperate need of our nation. Those who would say, Lord, I'm here in your house for the purpose you want it to be. And I'm here to pray for the nations because your house is a house of prayer for the nations. God is calling us to be watchmen on the wall. Now let me draw this to a close. And this makes some practical application to our context. What does it look like for you and for me at Green Pines Baptist Church to be faithful watchmen on the wall? What does that look like? Well, certainly, we're to be watchmen on the wall and pray in private. Our own personal, private devotion time. In our home or wherever we might have that private time. In fact, the Bible calls us to enter into our closet for personal prayer. And just as certain, we're to be watchmen on the wall and we're to pray in small groups as watchmen on the wall. Small prayer groups are are small groups that are gathered for Bible study and we focus on prayer. Certainly, we're to pray in small groups. But the main application we need to consider is the last certainty that I want us to look at, and that is certainly being faithful as a church called to be watchmen on the wall. It means that we gather together as a church for large group or for corporate prayer. We gather together and pray together as a church. And it's a priority. In the Old Testament, there was a great deal of emphasis on corporate prayer. Many, many times the people of God in the Old Testament were called to fast and pray as a group. In the New Testament, the church prayed so often as a group that Paul even gives instructions on how to behave when the whole church gathers together for prayer meeting. In other words, we can't escape it. The Bible assumes that God's people will gather together as a group and pray together. The Bible assumes the church will gather together as watchmen on the wall 
and then we'll gather together and we'll pray together. Green Pines Baptist Church has a prayer meeting on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock until 6.30. It's a time that our pastor has called our church to gather as a group and be watchmen on the wall and pray. Now, I know that everyone can't be here at 6 p.m. on Wednesday nights. I know that. Some are out of town because of business during the week or some work in another part of, of the city and they can't get here. I know that. But let's be honest this morning about this. Let's be honest. Now, folks, I'm not trying to put us all on a man-made guilt trip. I know that if God is going to move in our church to gather together to pray as a group, the Holy Spirit is going to have to convict us to do that. And it doesn't help if it's just a man-made guilt trip, and I'm not trying to do that. But I am asking us to be honest. Some of us will say that we can't be here at 6 p.m. on Wednesday nights for prayer meeting. And I know that's true for, for many people. But when we have Wednesday night fellowship suppers, like we do each month, and people come for that, but when it's over, they won't come to pray, it brings a question that we need to be honest about. A couple of weeks ago, we had a Wednesday night supper from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. And we had a wonderful meal and a wonderful time of fellowship hall, a fellowship together. And we were in the fellowship hall. And the fellowship hall was, was full. And, and I was just so blessed to see all the people that came together after a, a busy summer and people came together for that time. And, and God was pleased and God was, was honored. And, and I'm not suggesting anything negative about it at all. Those who led that night did so excellently and it was very pleasing to the Lord. But when it was over, what happened? I'm not talking about those that were working and those that were cleaning up and so forth. But for the rest of us, what happened? Somehow, 70 or 80 or 90 people found a way to get here. from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. for a fellowship meal. And on that same night, at 6 p.m., when the fellowship and the food was over, at 6 p.m., the prayer meeting was held in the Fidelis classroom, and it was held there because of the tile construction going on. We didn't have the meeting here. It was held in the Fidelis classroom. And it was just such a stark contrast that night. That's why I'm referring to it, because of the location of the, the prayer meeting that night was in the Fidelis classroom, which is practically right next to the fellowship hall, just a few feet away from the fellowship hall. The 6 p.m. prayer meeting was held in a room that was a few feet away from a room full of people that had come for food and for fellowship. And maybe some just didn't know where it was. But only about five or six people came to the prayer meeting. And again, maybe just people didn't know where to find it. But the reality is, it's the same five or six people that come every Wednesday night. 
About five or six people each week come to be watchmen on the wall. And at that same time of day, we can get 70 or 80 or 90 people here for food and fellowship. But we won't come to pray. What if we took all of this seriously? What if we believe that we want to be a church that takes God's word seriously and we want to be watchmen on the wall? And as a result, we don't want to be like Pearl Harbor. We don't want to be like those who are asleep in their comfort and, and, and to say about the approaching enemy that's coming, well, don't worry about it. What if we took this seriously and we don't want blood on our hands from selfishness? What if we took this seriously and we don't want to forget what's at stake here? Nightdale, knowing that Jesus Christ came to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, to free those who are oppressed. That's what's at stake. What if we took this seriously? We realize that Jesus Christ has given to us the keys of the kingdom to see him build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If we'll pray. What if we took this seriously and we believe Jesus when he says, my house will be called a house of prayer for the nations. What if we took it seriously? If we take seriously the call to be watchmen on the wall, then our prayer meeting will be the barometer of our church. What happens in our corporate prayer meeting will be the gauge by which we measure and we judge the success or failure of Green Pines Baptist Church. Will you receive your appointment to the wall? Will you receive your assignment to pray? Will you stand in the confident assurance of God's promises and God's word? Will you see your responsibility to advance the kingdom of God through prayer? God is calling for watchmen on the wall. The walls are silent today. They await your response. Let's pray together.